This episode of Speed Science is brought to you by Presence Learning. At home, are you ready to take back control of your career and get your life back in balance? Teletherapy offers a powerful career choice to let you practice at the top of your license with flexibility in scheduling to adjust your caseload up or down as needed and the ability to serve a broad range of students within a supportive community of professional colleagues. That is the hardest part about teletherapy, Mike, was trying to connect with other therapists. When we were working in the same building, it's super easy. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, But when you're working with a great organization like Presence Learning, you have the ability to collaborate with a great community of professionals. To learn more about the benefits of teletherapy and joining the largest community of teletherapists, visit presencelearning.com to read their new blog post, Five Reasons for a Teletherapy Career. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the the policy policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please Please contact contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. Just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 153. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist out of Ohio, working in the middle school and in home health care with dementia and stroke rehab, joined by the pediatric expert from the state of Texas, Miss Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. And the executive functioning expert in the city of brotherly love, Mike McLeod. Hi, Matt. You guys know that. Oh, that is one you did of my not favorite, sound excited. That is part of my favorite Hi, Matt. favorite parts of the show is trying to figure out a way to introduce you to. That is one of my favorite parts of the show. You're very good at it. You are very I just good. Just love at it. doing that. You're like, However, uh, Mike, you're like I have Mike a bone Francesca. to pick with you. I have a bone to pick with you. Uh oh. As I was editing episode 152, uh oh, I hear your words and you say, "We all know." the Bengals are going to get beat by a lot mm-hmm. and they will mm-hmm. not be going to the Super Bowl. That so is my a, favorite part of this true. whole thing is that that episode airs uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday, February 3rd, when we're recording this wow. February 2nd. This episode won't drop until like February 9th. So you have to live in infamy for another week about calling the Bengals losing Hey, that was a massive, you know what though? I think upset. Mike is in good company with calling that because a lot Wilmer of people thought the Bengals would make it. You're right, I know, but a lot but of people did? he played for the Bengals did not think. <laughs> but did. it's the year of the tiger. The Chinese the New Year is this week, so the year of the I've tiger been, is close enough to a Bengal. <laughs> I've been blasting some Kelly uh, or uh, Katy Perry and the Eye of the hey. Tiger song. Whatever that you got song a whole is. playlist. Hey, I'm rooting for them big time. I would. This is this is literally the battle of two completely different teams. You have the Bengals, right. the Bengals, the Bengals who build from the <laughs> from the ground up, and you have the Rams who just trade for other players and pay big money for other players and trade away draft picks. So I this cried. Is, this is Not this is lie. like this is blue collar versus white collar. This I have a, this is when was the last time Matt? you are what, do, what do we call someone I'm 36 from Cincinnati, Cincinnati. I'm a Cincinnatian. okay I was three in 19 this January whatever it was 1989 was when the Bengals made the Super Bowl I was three because I was born in 85 but I hadn't so this is yet. a big deal so when this the is Giants, the first time in 33 Gi- years for me the Giants won twice when I was in college and See, it was you know what that is unbelievable like. and the first time was when they beat the the undefeated Patriots. That was on. That was just nothing will ever top that moment. See, can you guess what my week was like? 
So I'm sure it was elation. I'm sure you were probably celebrating all week. Hey, quarterback though, Joe Burrow. Um, Joe Chill, Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. Being from Ohio, yeah. right? Athens. He he played football at the high school I coached at, ah. uh, where I coached volleyball while I was in grad school with you, Matt. You yep. came to watch us play once, I think. Yep. Um, and I looked up back when he won the Heisman. I had looked up when he was in high school there because I thought, oh, I went to some of the football games. I probably saw him play. And then I looked it up and I felt really old because he was in middle school. (laughs) Are you sure? I think so. I think so, man. He was, he's, he's young. He's a very, he's, he's He's 25, 25. Wow. And I would swear that I thought he would have been a freshman He's a straight winner, dude. Uh, I don't know. I just want he, to say that I could have saw him in high school. He won the national championship, right? Right. And yeah. Heisman and yeah. all of that fun stuff. Hey, so. he's going he's gonna to keep on winning. Can't get rid of him. Uh, all right, Mike. How has your week been? It's been great. It was, uh, it's been very, very busy. Very, very busy. So pretty much nonstop action. So we're right in the thick of things now, man. You know, the, the, the holidays are long gone. We're into February now. Today's February 2nd. And Happy uh, Groundhog's Day, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, six more weeks of paperwork with the, with the Groundhog's yeah. <laughs> And then, Michelle, how has your week been? My week has been pretty good. Nothing overly exciting, but I'll give a shout out to um, Goodwill. I actually worked Ooh. there. I think you knew that in between um, undergrad and grad school. I yes. worked for Goodwill Industries, but... Uh, so when you shop at Goodwill, right, you're supporting their programs, which help people with disabilities or barriers to employment. So I always love shopping at their thrift stores. Now, point being, got a really good find at the thrift store this week, which is going to be great for this bad weather coming in. Do you know those connect? They're like round balls and you connect the green sticks between them to build all sorts of forts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know the name of it right now. <laughs> I always call the it name. like Kerplunk. It's not Kerplunk. Right. But, I know but it's big. It's con- you can climb in it. Right. And for inside inside play, you can drape lightweight things over it. Got it for three dollars. It costs 40 or 50 dollars normally. So So there is a way for your children or for therapy. Um, Well, right now for my kids and probably for therapy. Yeah, that's Mike. Have you hit that point yet where you're buying something for your, your child and you're like, man, I can't wait to use this in therapy. Oh yeah, of course. Yep. Well, and my kids have benefited from all of my previously purchased before children items. That was some of the hardest conversations though. My son would see some of my therapy toys in the garage and he's like, why can't I have the cool school bus? And I was like, cause it's, (laughs) cause I had to take it back to work, buddy. Like go inside. Like (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to look at a, uh, a law proposal change that will allow parents to talk about why they sue a district. We've also going to check in with the informed SLP. We've got a super important uh, due process and then also our SS pod shout out. And of course we want to hear from you. So make sure you head to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and you can email us speech science podcast at gmail.com. We've also got the discords, the merch, and the brand new website. Are you guys tooling around the new website yet? Kicking the tires, lighting the fires. It looks good, man. I like it. It's well done. Like it. Yeah, it is a labor of love. That is well said. Sure. All right. So on our SS pod shout out, that is an opportunity for you to give credit to somebody doing something awesome. And that's where you do the hashtag SS pod shout out, or you can also email us speech science podcast at gmail.com. This week's SS Pod shout out goes to Jenny, who was the SLP on Wheel of Fortune, and she won it. I believe she won $17,000. So I think that is enough to buy a laminator and a ream of paper for her therapy room. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> a ream of paper. Just Living one. Large. They're getting expensive, man. Hey, um, shout out to her though, because now I want to go watch that episode. Mm-hmm. Like I believe it's it January thirty first. Woo! Um, so then in the SLPs, my question for Jenny, the SLP, is: uh, Are you playing Wordle? 
because I would love to see how she's doing in Wordle. You know she's dominating. I could beat her in Wordle. I do appreciate that. I haven't even started playing streak. Wordle, but I kind of want to after you made us Wordle play is, one on air. I, it's one of the first things I think about in the morning. It just now, got I appreciate, by the New York Times. though, that people aren't giving it away. Like, people aren't just posting social media statuses with what oh, the... No, that's, can can what we the talk about is. that for a second? Like, we can't trust people to not spoil a movie. Anything, but they're not spoiling Wordle. <laughs> Wordle, they're like, uh, here's some vague green-yellow blocks. I did it today. It is such a wonderful... Like in everything that is going wrong in the world, it is such Michelle, you're right. It is such a like spotlight of joy that no one is ruining. And people are all keeping the surprise. I love it. <laughs> it's so, secret. That is the SS pod shout out. And on the flip side is the SS pod due process. That is your opportunity to bring something to the court of opinion. And we will try to do our best to help answer it. And this week we got a pretty awesome letter and I decided to invite her on the air. So Rhiannon, welcome. Are you a CF or are you a uh, first year or where are you on your I am a journey? second year grad student. So I'm taking the praxis in like two months and applying yeah. for jobs, I guess. So yeah. Awesome. And where are you a grad student at? Uh, the University of Arizona. Ooh, okay. Here you go. Shout out to the University of Arizona. And what are you thinking about going into? Well, I'm really interested in pediatric feeding disorders, which is a very specialized part of our field. Um, and I certainly don't expect my whole career to be that or to right away jump into it, but I am really interested in it. Awesome. So Rihanna, you wrote in and you were asking us a bunch of questions about how to make your resume stand out, how to write a good cover letter. So what questions do you have in general? And then we'll do our best to pepper you with more information to try to help you out here. Thanks. Well, I feel like my resume is pretty good. I have some variety of action words. You know, it's not all just treated, 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 but implemented here and everything. Um, Use syllable doc or what is it? <laughs> Synonym.com. Yep, yes, got it. yes, exactly. Excellent. <laughs> But my cover letter just feels like it's the exact same thing as my resume just now in full sentences, um, which I don't think that's what it's supposed to be, but that's what it is. So. And so are you, are you looking at job um, applications right now? Are, are a lot of them asking for a cover letter with the resume? Because I, I noticed when I've been applying for jobs and but every, most people who listen know we're a military family. So I feel like I'm always supplying for jobs. <laughs> um, so I have a Word document file on my computer and my external hard drive that is my resume, but it's my resume with every place I've sent it to. Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest thing I would say is take that bulk of your resume, right? And you're going to specialize your cover letter to wherever you're going. So you're going to restate those things from your, yeah, you want to highlight things from your resume on your cover letter, but I would look at their, when I'm applying for a job, I'm, I'm going to hop on that company's website. I'm going to see if there's bios of important people for the company. I'm going to see what their focus is, see what their mission statement is, and even pull some of those key words, some of those key vocabulary words that they use, those action words that they use, and see if you can use those in a, in a typical way. Don't force it. Cheat <laughs> but, the system, right, Michelle? Um, but use some of their keywords to show that you've taken the time to get to know their company. Um, so I would focus more on the cover letter. You have your, it sounds like you have the basic structure of it, but um, you can tweak it for whatever job you're putting in for because you're going to tweak your resume a little bit too you want to highlight the experiences or the clinicals you've had that best fit it um, first and especially say you're applying for a job that's feeding specific make a section on your resume that is pediatric feeding general feeding oral motor whatever it is that you have some extra training or continuing education you've done or anything so um that would be my thought is adapt the cover letter what do you think matt yeah, so I had to pull up my cover letter that I got my current job, and I had to look through it. And my second paragraph in my cover letter, so the way my cover letter is centered is that, you know, it says to whom it may concern, I'm applying for the job at blah, blah, blah. And I kind of briefly summarize all my positions. But in that second paragraph, I put in why I'm a speech therapist. 
and why I do what I do. So this is where I put in about how I actually enjoy working with students and, you know, out of the classroom setting. And I kind of give a little anecdote why. Uh, and then my third paragraph, I talk about, uh, I just kind of expand a little bit on some of the things that I put into my resume that maybe are not related to speech therapy, but are important to me. So I mentioned about how coaching uh, typical high school students has impacted and improved my therapy mindset, as well as uh, being nominated for uh, different positions in the district and, and getting something funded. Um, so I would definitely add that into your cover letter as well to show who you are, because what they're going to be doing is a lot of times these hiring places will get your resume and then they'll just throw it on a big pile. And they'll read it, but you need to put something in there because I think you even mentioned in your email, Rhiannon, that, let's see, what is it that you said that almost everyone has the same experiences? Is that what you said? Oh, it's a bit generic, right? <laughs> yes. So I think what you want to do is that what can make you unique is why are you in this field? You're in this field because of something. And that is your unique experience. Michelle and I are in our field for very specific reasons. Something happened to us, and Mike in the same way. Something happened to us that said, we need to be here. So I'm going to ask you, why are you a speech therapist? Or why are you becoming a speech therapist? You're not a speech therapist yet. You're not no, one of I us am. yet. <laughs> well, first off, I'm you're really so glad. close. <laughs> you're so close, but you're not there. You know. I'm really glad that you're saying all these things should be in my cover letter because I feel like I can use all the millions of documents I made for applying to grad school for the, the same thing now because I like talked about these things in my million different statement of purposes and they were all you like really you know, can yes use that same like passion for this field yeah uh, and like some of them were like it should be two pages others were like it should be 200 words so I'm like I have I have it in so many different formats this is good so <laughs> and that's good to use use that same idea because like you said the the job applications are going to be the same way, especially when they're word limited, um, you know, character limited in an online application, which a lot of them are, they leave you only so many, so much space to write something, or they want you to send the resume, but also copy and paste your resume into this <laughs> online document. So um, use those, those skills that you got you into grad school. Well, to answer your question, though, I want to be a speech pathologist because I'm really interested in working directly with families to help them um, and their children, especially reach their full communicative potential. And I think it's really important to be involved with families since language and feeding, if that's what I want to do, and food are just such an integral part of being a human that we should all have the best access to it that we can. Um, and we need to make sure that we're really taking into account the culture and family perspectives to do that since they're, they're so personal. But I don't there you know, go. You your cover that. letter, you Can, just wrote your cover letter right there. there we go. <laughs> and I wanted to say something. I was going to say, like, make sure you go back and re-listen to this. But like, the first part where you said like, oh, I think communication is important. It, I was kind of like, okay. I mean, that's what we all put. And then when you said the part about food being important, that I saw all of a sudden the, you went from like, okay, this is what I practice to, oh my gosh, this is what I'm excited for. That's what goes in. Mike, you own a private practice. What do you, you know, if you are looking for extra therapies or therap therapies, therapies, therapists, Always looking what for would extra you look therapies. for in a cover letter? Uh, I agree that the cover letter would be, um, you can t look at a cover letter and know if it's just copied and pasted and generic. I think that's a, a super important point to make is you can tell, like I've gotten cover letters that, uh, have the wrong business name on it, uh, that are clearly, <laughs> clearly old and outdated. You know, you're just looking for something that seems, you know, I would rather get a cover letter that's a couple of sentences than a long one that is old, outdated, and has errors in it. Uh, but in terms of the resume, one thing that I definitely don't do is look at the college and the legitimate and like looking for a top tier college. I don't care if someone, you know, went to us like a small little tiny place to get their master's or they went to like NYU or whatever. I, I could care less. I care more about the individual uh, and honestly, it, it comes down to the interview. I, you know, the, at the end of the day, the resume is a piece of paper, the cover letter is a piece of paper, but if you're going to be someone working with children and working with students, it's all about the interview. 
Mm-hmm. But that that resume and that cover letter are what get you the interview. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of a lot of times, uh, you know, with speech jobs, speech openings, they're they're doing interviews with just about every resume they get. Uh, so, uh, it, it, it really, that, that's how it, it goes for me. I, I, I don't know if that is regional, Mike, like well, that's yeah, it, not it is been regional. my experience. It's, it's, it's regional. It's regional. It shows like I've been applying and, no, I and mean, where you apply, I'm applying for like outpatient pediatric hospital positions right now. And they're all like five years experience recommended. Okay. And things so, like that. Yes. yeah, like, things. which I know I don't get sad when I get a rejection letter. I'm just like, yeah. But that's good practice. And potentially you get an interview because I know my first um, interview in a hospital after my clinicals, right? Um, I kind of knew I wasn't going to get the job, but I knew I had an interview and I I felt like it gave me a better idea of what I needed to, you know, prep for or be ready for in a future interview. Well, and in your email, you also asked about like, should you put in um, where was it? I'm trying to pull that up. But you said, should you put in what you've done at the grad school setting? Oh yeah. Like on those copy paste resumes yes. where they like, you uploaded your resume and now type it all up in our document. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I would. Uh, yes. Yeah. That is your experience. I mean, I know it sounds kind of like, oh, everyone does it, but you'd be surprised that like, as you're, you know, you're still young in your career. So you're going to be like, oh, everyone's got this experience because everyone you're going to grad school with has that same experience. But when you start to apply for jobs against people from other universities, they may not have some of the same experiences you have. Um, I finally, Michelle, I don't know about you, but I finally just dropped my grad school experience off and like it hit that 10 year mark. And I went, okay, I don't need this anymore. But well, you know. for me, it, the only time it goes on there, it depends on the job I'm applying mm-hmm. for That's true. when we're jumping around. So if I'm trying to show that I've had 10 years worth of experience with something, then I'll put on there if it's a nursing home, I mean, my first nursing home position, which was a, an externship. So um, it totally depends on the job. But like Matt said, depending on the setting you're going for, the longer you're an SLP, you start to kind of weed off listing the other experiences or you can sort them because even now um, I'm guessing you probably had other volunteer and job experiences in other undergrad, or if you had time between undergrad and grad school. So um, divide it up. There's nothing that says you can't split it up in your resume to say, you know, speech specific experience in this section and then Mm -hmm. other related experiences, which might include right now. I mean, if you want to work with kids, anytime you've worked with kids as an SLP or not, that seems appropriate. Um, or if it's working in a nursing home or a hospital, have you volunteered? What experiences, what externships in the hospital? So, you know, tailor that resume. It's just copying and pasting, but tailor it to which job you're putting in for. How many pages are you guys' resume? One. Depends on what job I'm applying for. <laughs> you always got to limit, you always got to limit it to one. No, I, I disagree four. with that. I, I totally pages. disagree with that. <laughs> I'm giving a lot of bad info tonight. <laughs> no, I don't think it's bad. I think it's very dependent on the job. Rhiannon, how long is your resume? Uh, mine is two pages, but I okay. was very careful to make sure that if somebody only looks at the first page, they still would probably get a good picture of me. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I, I am with Mike on the, um, you know, that most places are not going to care where you went to school. And I've, uh, I've, I've worked in how many different States now. And I think the only reason they've ever asked me where I went to school is just because they're like, Oh, you've lived all these places. Where did you go to school? It's not, (laughs) it's not because they're concerned about where I got my speech degree. They care two things that I have my C's typically a couple States don't, but most do (laughs) most care that you have your C's and, um, and that I have my state license. And if I don't have my state license, that I qualify for it and can get it quickly. So that's all they care about. If you have those two, they're like, check the box. She's got a state license. We're good to go. Mike, if somebody, oh, sorry. if somebody sends you a resume that's more than a page or two, would you read the whole thing? I'm looking at highlights. I'm not, I wouldn't say, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting there. He's looking for We're, keywords. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sitting there looking through the whole thing again. Again, it's the interview. Like I want to get to know the person, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm telling you right now, a little inside info. 
I'm looking them up on Facebook. I'm looking them up on Instagram. I'm fine. I'm trying to see these people and learn a little bit about them, do a little deep, deep dive in looking at their digital footprint uh, before I message them back. And so the, Mike, and I just watch, shared with you. Watch Mike. your socials. I just shared with you. Yes, yes, yes. We'll get to that in a second. Mike, I just shared with you my resume, my front page. Too much? Uh, I think it's too spaced out, but that's a see, formatting thing. I don't see podcast host on there. <laughs> I oh, know. What's up with that? Because I Not have on to the go first down page. It depends on the job. <laughs> my affiliations, awards, and licensure. Look at that. Speech science co-founder and audio producer. Mm, that needs to have but, its own section. But my resources. That should be on top of that list. But my references are an entire page as well. How come we're not references? Yeah, because you know what, man, I haven't written a resume <laughs> since 2018 because I haven't needed one. Those people aren't probably aren't even real. So what? I will say, that Mike, real quick though, you as a private practice owner are obviously going to obviously going to personally interview and meet and have to get along with and click with anyone that you would hire or bring on. Um, that's the difference between a small setting working for a private practice where that's going to happen. I've worked in, I've worked for private practice before, but if you're applying to like the VA system, for example, or some other big hospital network, you're going to be submitting a resume and copying and pasting it into a certain format that their computer reads and looks for keywords and spits out ones that don't fit that. And then on the hiring managers only see a very limited number that meet X qualification before it goes. So again, totally depends on the setting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it totally depends on the setting. You're absolutely right. And I'm speaking from my own experiences. Uh, but you know, once again, it's not, I, I really don't think the school that you go to the grad program you go to is as important as it used to be. Uh, you know, your externship placements are definitely important. That's very important. And speaking to the, you know, having those people as, as references is important. Uh, and yeah, if you have speech science, if you subscribe to speech science on your phone, that's a, that's a plus. <laughs> so Mike, you actually brought up a good question. Okay. Rhiannon, you're much younger than the rest of us just because you're still in grad school. <laughs> Not what a guarantee, they... but it, I, I think okay. you seem to be younger than us. Are you over the age of 30? No, I'm okay, getting there, but, but I am younger, yes. What are you, 24? 28. Oh, okay. I had hey, some time, close. yeah. Uh -huh. See, there you so, go. <laughs> my question, the reason I asked that is, are they telling you what to do? Because, Mike, I love what you said about watch your socials. It's true, what man. Are they, what are they telling you in grad school? Because even though we went to grad school 10 years ago, I feel like social media has changed so much in the last five years. What are your like grad school folks telling you guys what to do or not to do with social media? Um, I feel like everything they've been telling us is common sense maybe, but I guess it's not because people still do it, but yeah, don't have party pictures. Definitely don't be like breaking HIPAA on social media because first off you're breaking HIPAA and second off then no one will ever hire you because that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Um, I, I guess my question as somebody who I don't think I struggle with this concept of not putting things I wouldn't want a job to see, my question would be, is it weird to not have much of a social media? Is it something mm. that like, if I don't post about speech stuff that someone's going to be like, well, maybe she's not that dedicated. Or... No, no, uh, -uh. Right. no socials are for you to, you know, someone, someone with a work-life balance is good. Uh, you know, you don't got to be on there talking about articulation and stuttering and voice. And, you know, you don't got to be doing that, you know, just your social You don't media. need a social media. If, yeah, if you, you don't, don't you, want you one. Don't, you don't, but it it's... is nice to kind of be able to connect a face to a name on a resume. You know, sometime in the future, there's probably going to be like pictures on a resume. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but overall, uh, you know, just, just make it just, just checking their social medias and, you know, looking for any red flags or red hats. And then that's it. <laughs> See, I would disagree with what you guys said there for, for just a bit. It's like, I think having a social media and having like a digital presence is super important now because I do feel that there is some, it doesn't necessarily need to be related to speech. You don't need to be 
you know, making TikToks about how you can do, how you can make the best Play-Doh or you're the best at using the thickening agents. But I think there is a sense that if I Google who you are and I can't find you, my immediate thought is why? Even if it is a dead account, at least I go, oh, okay. She, Rhiannon, did try to do something and then just doesn't do it anymore. But if I go, oh my gosh, you are person non grata, I'm either thinking, okay, why is this person shunning the internet so much? Is she going to be really difficult to get new information to or about, or do they not? I know it sounds kind of backwards, but like, if you don't have a Twitter, if you don't have a Instagram, if you don't have a Facebook, if you don't have something, then my immediate thought is, okay, what else don't they do? So do they not look at new research online? Are they, at least that's my immediate thought. That's an interesting take that I had not thought of that, mm -hmm. but I would push back on it a little bit because your Google search may only turn up, that is only going to turn up if somebody has a unique name. I think, Rhiannon, you have a more unique name that somebody might be able to find with a Google search, right? Um, I have a more unique last name that I know it comes up me or one other woman named Michelle Wintering in the interworld, that interwebs world that I don't know, um, but I'm probably somehow related to. Um, and then, but if somebody's name is John Smith or, you know, Joe Johnson, I don't know, some generic name, you're going to find hundreds of them. So you don't even know who it is. Right. So That's I guess fair. I would, I would argue that someone's social media presence or posting or existence of social media does not necessarily correlate with their ability to use technology, ability to find research. That's fair. So I think this just means that you're not very good at Googling people because I can definitely find Joe Johnson if I have his resume too. So. <laughs> well, yeah, then you have his address and everything. So <laughs> yeah, I, you know what though? Maybe this is like, that weird media background that I came from where they taught us to make sure that the first four or five images that Google pulls up about us is what we want to be seen. I mean, so, I, so my undergrad, I don't even know if you know this, Matt, my undergrad was in public relations, which no, feels irrelevant now um, because it's, what it's you're changed doing right now. so much <laughs> since then I was, well, it, my, I had a double, major I was psychology and then public relations and uh, I was making media packets and um, giving out at the time floppy disks and cds and then eventually flash drives but now I don't even you know they scan qr codes for media packets they do do some hand, true. handheld ones but um, I mean we were taught similar to make sure that what comes up on that google search is appropriate especially when we were working or planning for a client, like a marketing PR type client is we want whatever people pops up on the internet to be what we want it to be, not what happens, you know, for everybody. So I, I understand that perspective. Um, I guess I would just, I, I think the social media part is so interesting now and even more so in the last two years, because everyone has been forced into it, even if they didn't want to before. Well, and the field has changed so much, Rhiannon, like from when we were in grad school, Mike, you're, how old are you? Or what year did you graduate grad school? Uh, 2015. Okay. So, uh, I'm how old, how old do you think I am, Matt? I couldn't remember. I'm 13. Michelle, you're 12, right? <laughs> For what? Grad school, 2012. Yes, yeah. Maturity level. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, only 12. <laughs> even then 10 years ago, it was, uh, you got to have you know, for men, short hair, no colors, women, no shaved hair, no weird facial, like anything. And then no tats invisible. And in the last 10 years, that has changed so drastically as like the people that were against that when you come out of grad school are now like that doesn't even matter. So I don't know where I was going with this other than with the idea of social media, maybe that's changing too. Yeah. Cause I don't you remember that? Like we had people come in or maybe that was just cause I was in the Omni program, but like, like people that owned private practices came in and talked to some of the students and were like, yeah, if you have a tattoo, we don't want to see it. If you come into an interview. 
I remember, I remember that, that from, okay, from yeah. undergrad, like interviewing oh, classes, okay. being like, you, you know, don't show that stuff on the interview day. You know, even as someone who's married, I, I've not worn my wedding ring to interviews just because I don't want the comments. I don't want somebody to ask That's about fair. my spouse or my kids in the interview. Are you going to be, moving I mean, technically the they're not supposed to, but what are you going to say in an interview? Right. <laughs> that is none of your business. And I will take my resume to the next company because <laughs> I know I don't have this job. The other question that you asked Rhiannon, and I thought it was super interesting. You asked if we should, should you play up some more unique experiences? What did you mean by that? And then, then I think maybe we can respond a little bit better. Yeah. So I like to look at the program we use to track how many hours I've gotten and it breaks it down by like articulation and language and fluency. Um, and as you can probably imagine, most of my hours are in language or articulation. Um, and, mm -hmm. but then there are some things that I've done like feeding and also I've done a lot of evaluations that I'm really excited about. I feel really lucky that I've gotten more experience than other grad students, but if you still look at it like hour by hour, I've only gotten like 30 hours of feeding experience, um, which is 30 more than a lot of people, but it's still not it's like about I did 28 more than I did when I graduated. So <laughs> I, I do think you need to play up certain experiences or even um, diagnoses that you've worked with, especially if you know that that's something you want to be deep diving into more. Uh, there's no reason you can't highlight that. I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome in general in our field and in grad school and everything. So I'm like, but what if, what if they think I'm great and I'm only mediocre, but well, I mean, no offense, and you may be the best grad student that has ever grad student. Those of us that have been in the field have been where you are. So when you say, I have done feeding therapy in grad school, we all understand what we may not know exactly what you did, and that's going to allow us to ask you questions. But then we know, though, what, you know, where to start with you. We're not going to assume that you have solved a thousand different cases of, of dysphagia and that you have saved so many families and, and fixed so many things because we, we've all been there. So don't think about it as being an imposter. And by putting it on your resume, you're allowing those of us that have been in the field to ask you questions about it. And then that's how you're going to step away from the imposter. Like I could totally put in that I did feeding therapy in grad school. And then when they asked me about some of the experiences of doing feeding therapy, it might be like, well, I remember in class where we all had to make thickener and then drink it. Yeah, that's not feeding therapy. <laughs> but having done feeding therapy, not feeding therapy, but doing uh, dysphagia now for a couple of years, I can ask certain questions and then immediately I'm going to go, okay, yeah, no, this person knows what they're talking about. Or, oh boy, this person has no idea what they're talking about. So, but you need to put that on there because if you don't, no one is going to even know to ask you about that. I remember I put that I worked, oh, with a certain type of, and I, and I don't want to give too many details for it, but I worked with a certain type of brain damage in grad school. And that started so many questions of when I was working with adult patients that even though it didn't line up perfectly, it was, a, it was a great opening of the door that I could say, oh, I didn't know what I was doing when I started. And, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be an imposter. It was a legit, I worked with something that was in this realm, but it allowed so many more questions to follow up. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's that imposter syndrome. You just got me thinking with that mm -hmm. because. That's the other um, side. And that's where I think you're, you're struggling with right now, Rhiannon. And I, we all have I that. think we all do. And I, I, I have struggled with that. Ever. Well, and you are the best podcaster ever, Matt. So, um, but we all do struggle with that. And it's, for me, it's been one of those things that until I turn and explain what I do to someone outside of the field, or more likely, honestly, someone in a sister field, like someone, one of the PTs I've worked with, or one of the OTs I've worked with, or a nursing staff I've worked with, that's when I start to realize, oh, wait, like, 
I am an expert on this because when I'm chatting with other SLPs, sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, you've done this, you've done this, you've been able to stay in your job for the same location and really deep dive and become this expert. And, um, you know, I've had to bounce around and, and grab these different experiences. And then when I put them all together, I'm like, wow, okay, I know my stuff, but, um, but I still question it and I'm 10 years doing this. So don't, uh, don't beat yourself up too much. You've got, um, a lot to look forward to in this career. Grad school is just a crazy, crazy, crazy experience that will drive mm-hmm. you completely, completely insane. And once you're in the field for a year or two, you're going to look back at grad school and it's going to seem like it wasn't even real. Like, did I really go through that? Did I really spend my whole life just spending money on classes and studying and cramming all this information? You know, being in grad school and being an actual speech therapist could not be more different. Especially does that kind of help, Brianna? I'm yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to kind of talk over you. What did you no, say? No, don't worry. I said, especially during a pandemic. Yes. It's been, been weird. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you have any uh, questions that you want to bring to the Court of Appeals in the due process, hashtag it or email us, uh, SSPod due process. Rhiannon, thanks for jumping in on with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's fun to put faces to the names, and it was great talking with you guys. I always really like the due process if we can get somebody in to defend their side. It's awesome, guys. It takes or a have lot. you it, defend yeah. their side? I like it. It takes well, a yeah, lot to get well, rid of that uh, anonymous. Well, no, I, I really enjoyed having her on. It makes me happy yeah. to have, have a listener. We get to get a, a face and a person with our mm-hmm. listeners, and she gets to chat with us. Well, I mean, the last couple of ones we got were pretty good ones, but sometimes we get ones that are like vague and we want to get more information from it. And it's like, well, you're just kind of a username in space. So it was really nice for Rhiannon to jump in and then we could have a nice little discussion. So our first article today, or actually our only article today, this is coming from News Nirvana and it's coming out of the Chalk Beat, Indiana um, uh, by Lee Gaines. Did you all know that, and I guess I didn't know this, that it is pretty commonplace for parents that sue school districts to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA. And what does this NDA do? So basically they are under an indefinite NDA to talk about why they sued the district and what they got out of suing the district. Yeah, do not disclose, right? What does it stand for? Uh, um, non-disclosure agreement. Non-disclosure Basically, agreement. There we they go. cannot talk about what they got, why they sued, and what the district did or did not uh, admit to doing. What's interesting, I mean, I guess it just never occurred to me to think of that. I know that many legal cases involve, that are settlements in particular, involve an NDA, uh, you know, a non-disclosure agreement, mm-hmm. but it hadn't occurred to me until this story that that was common in regards to special education, which also makes me wonder what stories are we not hearing about exactly because of that, because we we've have talked about court cases on air with special education, but are, is it, I mean, it kind of stresses me out how many of them are out there that we don't know about. Well, and this article is, this is coming from Indiana. So, you know, I mean, it is uh, a state that has a a lot of special education issues that they're working through, but they mentioned that most of the NDAs in Indiana come with a, uh, what is they they call it? It was a a money liability. So that if the parents talk about it, uh, they have to pay uh, an undisclosed amount of money to the school districts. Hmm. Is that, is, but, but is this kind of almost commonplace with a lot of lawsuits? With a well, lot of no. law, any, a lot of settlements. Yes. Yeah. A lot of settlement, a lot of settlements have that. So I don't think this is pretty, uh, I don't think this is just for education. No. And, and I get that. I get why in certain cases there's NDAs and such, but like M- Michelle brought it up and, and I kind of have that same thought. Like if your child goes to a school district and you don't know that somebody else sued because they weren't following the, the IEP or that they were locking children with IEPs in a closet or abusing children in other ways, how are you supposed to know what I, I, uh, this stuff freaks me out? 
enough enough so that i mean they are proposing legislation yes. about it yes so, so there is freaking enough people law. out yeah so there's a unique law that they're proposing would bar school districts from requesting parents sign ndas confidentiality agreements and non-disparagement clauses as a condition of special education due process settlement or as part of the resolution of a special education dispute Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this yeah. is important to know. Yeah, it's important to know. I agree. I just, it's I don't know. And is this, so the House bill, is this for Indiana? Correct. I, it, okay. Correct. It, um, if, so for the state of Indiana, House Bill 1107. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, it would help clear up these so what exactly is this bill saying i'm trying to uh so it says it's a it's a one-of-kind law uh that it would eliminate the use of requiring a parent to sign an nda or a non-disparaging clause against the school district mm-hmm. so okay. uh it would allow a parent to say hey my daughter or son was abused or mistreated and this is what the school district did and now they're allowing me to have x y or z or you know they talk about due process you know let's say you take the school district to due process for a one-on-one paraprofessional for your student and they agree to it and then you've got to sign the nda and uh jimmy's mom and dad want a one-on-one but right now you can't say that you got it because then you would be financially liable to the district Mm -hmm. now a counter argument which of course is in this article too which got me thinking right is that for example special education administrators and i've I've worked for them and they're you know people with who have have a very hard job because they have to balance the special education requirements with supporting their staff and therapists to do their best job for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, these people do fear that eliminating NDAs, because it sounds like this possible provision would say no NDAs at all, um, because I'm, I'm sure there's times that those would be appropriate. Their, their fear is that this would increase the number of due process requests, which often cost them between ten dollars and $30,000 per case. And obviously pull staff away from class and other duties. So point for discussion. I don't know. I don't believe that though. Do you believe that? Uh, the legal cost? Absolutely. I believe Oh, that. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The legal cost, but like the increase in in, in due processes. Yes. You I do. do. I think yes. it would increase. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Do you think it would increase for like legit? reasons or do you like okay not by legit reasons but like how do i put this yes if i found out that someone in my daughter's class won a due process because of something that was also affecting my daughter then yeah i would take the district to due process as well but i don't know if it would increase like the fraudulent i feel like that's like a a fear tactic like oh there could be an increase of fake due process like requests Hmm. Plus, there's okay. so many steps before due process. Yeah. Usually, I don't know how it is in Indiana, it's, but yeah, I know it's in been Ohio, a while since I've been in the school. So you're there. In, in Ohio, like if a parent wants due process, yeah, well, you know, it, it it happens. But there are so many steps before that. There are so many different IEP and team meetings where both groups try to meet in the middle before going to due process. Yeah. So speaking of due process, right, mm-hmm. um, when you look further into the article, um, they quote an interview with a professor emeritus um, at Lehigh University that he said NDAs can provide potential advantages for both parents and schools, but acknowledge that schools likely reap most of that benefit mm-hmm. from those clauses. So um in situations where schools agree to pay for the student's costly services, like a placement in a private school or a residential setting, the disclosure of that information would anger taxpayers who think schools are spending too much money on an individual single student. And then specifically under 
Mm. IDEA, right? Parents aren't entitled to monetary damages in a due process proceeding, but can receive reimbursement for things like tuition or private school placements or independent evaluations and attorney fees. And this researcher says, I find in some cases that parents' attorneys actually like the confidentiality clauses because part of the agreement is that the attorney gets their fees. Oh, Interesting, I right? Like now, yeah. I know that there's just a lot to this, I think, and different different perspectives to consider. See, okay, so so maybe I'm thinking of this because I, I, I did work in a pretty not great district in Ohio once, way back when. And I'm thinking about a teacher who literally was shuffled from classroom to classroom because of parent For due complaints. process, right? Like, Well, and it never got to due process. It never okay. did. But through different agreements with the parents, the teacher was moved to different grades or different buildings or different whatever. So now I got to wonder, did the parents ever, and we always wondered as staff, like, why didn't the parents ever talk? Like, if you knew that this teacher was bad and was coming to teach another class, wouldn't you, like, warn the families of the, of the other kids. And we were always wondering why. So now I'm wondering if maybe this was something to do with it. Maybe there were some NDAs going around at that district. Hmm, but, that's interesting too. Possible. But yeah, so that's where my question is, is that like, if we are going to be the bastions of like good therapy in and out of schools, in private practice, in nursing homes, in home health care, I feel like we also have to be the ones that are willing to air dirty laundry when we need to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. question though, would, yeah. would families as I think there's definitely families or parents who knowing they could have an NDA might be more likely to pursue um, something legally because they don't want it to be public. Well, yeah. And I think there's well. always the possibility that you can have the choice to sign the NDA. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the idea that they're like always happening. Yeah. That because same researcher in that article though, did talk about, um, you know, school attorneys might be more likely to settle if they can keep the details hidden versus, you know, they might want to push it further legally right. if they, if it has to be public. Mike, we talked about during due process, you would, google somebody's name for like a resume if you did and you found out a lawsuit was settled against them for something they did at in a school or a private practice would you even think about hiring them i would 100 percent bring it up during the interview yeah fair you know I, you have to know because you know some things are you know not the speech therapist's fault yeah that's true not point. you know there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of uh there's a lack of support uh, you know, sometimes therapists get in trouble for attending IEP meetings and missing sessions. Good point. And they get pulled in a million different directions and everyone knows that school leaderships don't really respect SLPs. So any, uh, you know, I like to, you know, dig a little deeper there. Hmm. Hmm. Never thought of that. Yeah. Now, I mean, again, this is a longer article. If you all get a chance to listeners get a chance to look through it. I do think it has some unique perspectives because I don't think there's been a consideration for a legal like pushback <laughs> against um, NDAs for special education before. Um, but there are some experts that are interviewed in this who say that um, like someone with Indiana disability rights says it's very likely that these are actually public records um, and that most people don't know that these NDAs are probably not enforceable or don't want to go to court to fight the school and the issue. So that is interesting as well, because uh, why are what? we putting this in there, right? It, it becomes a just a, mm, we'll put it in there, even though they just don't really know that we can't enforce it. It's interesting you put it that way, because like, I'm just thinking about how terrible would that look on the news when so-and-so makes a bad post about a school district on Facebook, the school district sues them for breaking the NDA. And then that school district has to go in front of the news camera to say why there was an NDA to begin because with. They, yeah. <laughs> right. Because they didn't do something and they had to like make it up to the ooh. I don't know where I fall on this now, y'all. I was really I, well, like, 
Yeah, my initial thought was against it, but if you read through mm -hmm. the different perspectives, it kind of challenges it. And now that like when Mike said that, that part as well, like now I'm wondering like, how would I feel if I'm mentioned as part of a due process, not because of something I did wrong, but be, well, I mean, yeah, because of something I did wrong, but not because of something I did willfully wrong, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, this was a good topic. And now I'm back to where I started, which is, I don't know, guys. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> oh, man, this is the worst type of debate. It's all right. I oh. enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm glad. Mike, did you enjoy it? I sure did. <laughs> I'm touch. I'm glad. I'm catching a, a touch of sarcasm there. You at home? Nah. Where do you fall on this? Does do NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and and money to be paid back to the school district if broken belong in special education or maybe even public health, or do they not? Let us know. Speech Science Podcast and uh, com and Speech Science Podcast at gmail.com. On the flip side, we're checking in with the informed SLP, and then we come back with the Ash Spotlight. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. Polishing our crystal ball for preschool stuttering. This is a review of a study entitled Predicting Persistent Developmental Stuttering Using a Cumulative Risk Approach from the Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research. This simple screening tool can predict which preschool kids will continue to stutter. We even made you an automatic calculator. About 80% of preschoolers who stutter will recover, and we've previously reviewed studies here, here, and here that identified various risk factors that can help predict stuttering persistence. These factors have a combined effect known as a cumulative risk. The more factors the kid has, the greater the risk of stuttering persistence. But the challenge for busy SLPs is that there are many factors to consider, and kids who persist with stuttering can have different combinations of risk factors. This new study offers a simple approach to identifying those kids at greatest risk. Singer et al. took 10 of the most researched risk factors and evaluated longitudinal data on kids aged 3 to 5 to determine which risk factors best predicted stuttering persistence. They did lots of fancy statistics and came up with this four-factor model. One, time since stuttering onset, 19 months or more. Two, speech sound accuracy, a Goldman Fristo standard score of 115 or below. Three, expressive language skills, a standard score of 106 or below on a measure like the TELD, SELF-P, or FLUHARDY. And four, stuttering severity, moderate stuttering severity, SSI score of 17 or above. Now you might be thinking that the cutoff for speech sound accuracy is pretty high, a standard score of 115 or below, and it is, but this was the best single risk factor for predicting persistence. Great. So what do we do with this? The authors suggest that this four-factor model could be used as a screener to support clinical judgment in deciding on care pathways for preschool children. Kids who have any two risk factors are at risk for persistent stuttering. Each additional risk factor greatly increases the risk of persistent stuttering, a five-fold increase in the study. Need it to be even easier? We created this handy spreadsheet to help you work out an individual child's risk level. A couple things to note. While this model is very sensitive, it identified 93% of kids who persistently stuttered. 
it was less specific, predicting just 65% of children who recovered. Thanks for listening so to this review. So keep that in mind when you counsel families. In more, the participants also came solely from families with high education levels and overall had a fairly high speech articulation and language scores. Or find us on Instagram, Facebook, Hang on though. How does this compare SLT? to the model from this paper by Walsh et al. that we reviewed back in August? Should we use this one instead of that one? Both? The good news is that both models are useful and highly sensitive for identifying kids who will persist in stuttering. When you choose teletherapy, you choose to you use might depend on what assessment data you have. Expressive language and speech sound scores for this model, phonology, non-word repetition, and family history for that one, or how well your client aligns with their study samples. More options equals more clinical flexibility. Timing is the most important thing, isn't it? Timing, absolutely. Absolutely, and protecting yourself and your family during such crazy times that we're living in and uncertain times right now. Um, and being able to work from home is really important. You can take back your commuting time and your drive time, and you join a network of peers for support and collaboration. To learn more and apply, visit presencelearning.com, then click on the apply button at the top of the page. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 153. I had to think about that for a second. Joined by Mike McLeod. Yo. Yo. And Michelle Wintering. Yo. Hey, so <laughs> guess what I learned this weekend? That the Bengals well, are going to the Super Bowl. That the Bengals yes. are going to the Super Bowl, yes. But do you guys know uh, that WPB, WPSpublishing.com, they're the ones that do the castle, have free online scoring? Did you guys know that? No, I did not. Yes. No. Yeah, they have free online scoring for a few of their tests. And I just found out that out this weekend. That would so, have been so nice when I would forget the I scoring know. part yes. of a manual. You put in your student's <laughs> information. And after you do that, um, and this is not an ad. This is literally something I found out. And I thought you guys all should know about it at home. Uh, you put in your student's information and... Um, yeah, then you just put in the test and you put in how many they got right and wrong. And then it, it prints it out as a nice chart for you and it writes everything up. That's awesome. I know. I'm kind of mad that I just found out about it. So I know I haven't given that test in a long time. Uh, I, I just bought the caps from them. It's the clinical something pragmatic scale assessment. Clinical assessment tests of pragmatics. are way too expensive. Well, I didn't buy it. My Still. school district bought it. Still. Oh my gosh, yeah, dude. They're all expensive. It's ridiculous. So on our ASHA spotlight, it's super easy to determine if ASHA is doing something right or doing something wrong. And this week, Mike, you brought to the group that what did ASHA do that we can celebrate? So ASHA uh, worked to shut down a ABA-based special interest group within do you know what it was what, what the special what do you know the yeah so it was a resolution to bring in the sig to specifically target aba there you go so to have a sig for aba right mm -hmm. yes for yep. ab mm -hmm. for aba not to like target it and bring it down but to you know, help uh pursue aba within the field and it was voted down 15 to none so yes. a unanimous, unanimous decision Yep. So, no, I, you know what? Are you guys members of any of the SIGs, by the way? I have been at various times. I was years, previously, but I'm not yeah. currently. I am just so I have access to the research articles. Um, Which I'm one are you in? Schools. Mm -hmm. I think it's what, SIG 15 or something like that? 14, 13, 12? I don't know. I've been in the one that's a lot of audiology too, the with deaf mm. and hard of hearing. That makes sense. And then in the. Um, early early childhood i believe oh fair sure. enough have you been to any mike or no you've not been uh i was previously uh but not anymore i didn't uh didn't i don't think i utilized it as much as i should have to be honest that's, that's how i felt too i'm like yeah. there's a lot of resources and i didn't take advantage of it so exactly i did it just so i could access the article like is legit like i always find one article a year that i want to read and i'm like oh that's worth it, like whatever it is 15 bucks or something <laughs> I don't know. All right. So as we wrap up, let's look at our weeks coming up. What is something cool, fun, and or exciting you're looking forward to in the next week that is not therapy related? Mike? 
go first. Well, this is going to be one weekend without football, so that would be nice. Uh, and I have my daughter's one-year birthday coming up. Oh, happy, happy birthday. almost birthday. And she's asleep on the monitor. Look at her. She looks like a little peanut. I love she's it. She's all tiny, curled up. Tiny little baby. Michelle, what are you looking forward to? Year. That's awesome. I know. Crazy, right? right? It's not nuts. Um, well, my Midwestern four season loving self is looking forward to the potential snow we might get this week, but I can't say I'm looking forward to like f the freeze part mm. of knowing that the region I live in right now is where the major freeze in Texas was for multiple weeks of people without power and all of that. So my hope is that everyone stays safe and warm, but I would love a little bit of snow. Nice. Uh, are you? Do you have lights and a space heater readily available in case your power grid fails? We we do have some backup measures, okay, and we've got we've got good friends. If we, um, good. You know, who have better, more longstanding, they've lived here longer <laughs> backup measures than <laughs> us. Um, yeah, but then also, I mean, it is while well, the day we're recording today is Groundhog Day, February second. Punxsutawney Phil. Good old Punxsutawney Phil. I believe saw his shadow, right? So that's he six did. more weeks of winter. Except the dude in Ohio did not see his uh, shadow. So yeah, because Ohio has their own little groundhog. <laughs> we do. It's uh, Buckeye Chuck. <laughs> Where is he located in Columbus, Ohio? Columbus, Buckeye Chuck. Well, I mean, I get that, but it's the Buckeye State. That doesn't mean Columbus. <laughs> well, he lives in Columbus because that is the capital, Michelle. Buckeye Chuck oh, is yeah, Franklin yeah, yeah. County. Uh, <laughs> what am I looking forward to this week? I. Oh, uh, what am I looking forward to? I am not really looking forward to anything. I am actually looking forward to the opposite of doing anything, which is nothing. I have a whole bunch of messes in my office I have to clean up, um, and that's about it. I'm really going to enjoy this weekend of doing nothing. I hope okay. you get a chance to do nothing. Me that's too. a good plan. Uh, we want to hear from you. What are you doing that is absolutely nothing or fun-filled? Head us up, speechsciencepodcast.com. Check out the new website, and from there, you get links to our Discord, our merch, and also the Presence Learning sign-up for a year of therapy essentials. Also, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash music. The informed SLP was at the count by broke for free. And our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod. They're both licensed under a creative commons attribution license in the immortal words of Janice, Wright: Always be a willow. The Oak looks mighty and strong until it cracks under the ice and pressure of a long winter. The willow will bend and return to form Four fellow willows, Michael McLeod and Michelle wintering. I'm Matt hot until next week. So long, everybody. Yeah. Episode number 153 of Speech Science has been brought to you by Presence Learning. Are you ready to join the thousands of clinicians who have turned to teletherapy to serve students while building a flexible career for themselves to meet their own needs? Join the Presence Learning Network and work with a community of speech language pathologists and a support team that cares about you and the children you serve. You will be working with bright, energetic people who are committed every day to opening up access to services for students and making a lasting impact in the world. Michelle, when I was doing teletherapy, that was the hardest part was I felt like I was on an island by myself, I didn't have a team of people to go to when I had technical difficulties or when I didn't have the right therapy materials. And with Presence Learning, you have that. You have materials, you have technical support, and you have the community to reach out to. So don't wait. Visit PresenceLearning.com and click on Apply as a clinician at the top of their homepage. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.